0: You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you this morning. If we haven't met before, my name's Sam, and uh, I get to serve as one of the leaders, one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, great to have you with us. As John said, if this is your first time, so welcome here. If you've been coming since the very beginning, 50 years ago, you're so welcome here, and so we're glad you're here today. Uh, Today's teaching text is from John chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you can start turning there right now or the the one in the pew in front of you, John chapter 10. And and while you're doing that, um, I'll just say this. We've been in a a sermon series over the last few months, throughout the summer months, called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words, where over these last number of weeks, we've been exploring these different statements from Jesus about his identity, about who he is. And, And we've looked at statements where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world, I'm the door. And and these statements are are like metaphors that Jesus uses to give us a glimpse into his heart, into his character, who he is, what he's like. And and through this series, we've been trying to do what, what the author of Hebrews instructs us to do. We've been seeking to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And in a world where it feels like everyone has an opinion about this Jesus and who he is, we're seeking to go right to the source what Jesus says about himself and what he's like. And so up on the docket today is John chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, why don't you stand? Even if you don't have a Bible, would you stand? And the words will also be on the screen. John chapter 10, and we're going to start reading in verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. John 10 verse 11 says this. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the the command I received from my Father. Let's pray together. We'll unpack those words from Jesus. Well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this morning as we've gathered here in Coquitlam, B.C., we recognize that you're here among us. As we, as we come together as your people, as we lift our voices, as we open Scripture. And so we just pray that, that we would hear today the words that you want us to hear. So in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. So, I am the good shepherd. Well, while Jesus uses the analogy of, of shepherd and his sheep to make his point here, This passage isn't so much about the mechanics of shepherding as it is about leadership. It's about leadership. And I don't know if we've ever been in a time in history, at least in our lifetime, where there's been a greater felt need for leadership than right now. And whether consciously or unconsciously, we're all looking for someone to follow. We're all looking for someone to rescue us. From this kind of mess that we're in, whether it be COVID or politics or the housing market or global warming or racism or gun violence or you name it. And so we gravitate towards leaders and ideologies that we think will move us towards this kind of utopian future that we long for. And while as Canadians, we're almost allergic to any sort of hierarchy, like we have a bit of a stick-it-to-the-man, punk rock kind of vibe about us, don't act like you're better than me just because you have a place of power kind of, kind of vibe, at the same time, we ache, our culture aches, we ache for good leadership. Deep in the human heart, in the, in the human psyche, is this desire to be led, for someone to lead us towards a better way. But the question becomes, who can we trust to lead us? Should we trust religion and religious systems, the church, celebrities? Should we trust our parents, the older generation, mainstream news, underground news sources, a political leader? Who can we trust to lead us? And then there's been so much abuse in leadership. You know, leaders using their power for self-serving purposes. And it doesn't only happen outside the context of the church, but even within her walls. And so the question remains, who can we trust to lead us? Well, in John 10, Jesus contrasts two different kinds of leaders. He, he contrasts the good shepherd with what he calls the hired hand. The shepherd and the hired hand. What's the difference? Well, at first glance, not that much. You know, the hired hand has lots of shepherd-like responsibilities. He watches out for the sheep. He helps them if they get stuck in kind of the thorns or the thistles. He leads them to water to get a drink. On a day with no real adversity, the hired hand could probably pass as a shepherd the glaring difference comes in the face of danger. The the, the difference between the shepherd and the hired hand comes when the bear or the wolf shows up. Uh, About four years ago, my wife Jorley and I had a bit of a baby moon before our daughter Kinsley was born. So we went away to Whistler and we spent a couple nights there. And we were in Whistler Village. We had just had dinner, I think, at um, the warehouse, if you've ever been there, and then had ice cream at Cow's. And We were walking back. We turned the corner to to go back to our hotel, and right in the middle of Whistler Village is this massive bear on two legs, kind of roaring like this. This is where our recollection of the story is a little bit different. Jorley says it was a relatively small bear on all fours, but who are you going to trust, right? (laughs) So we see this bear, and uh, you know how they say that when someone experiences fear, emotions, they either fight or flight? Well, I ran as fast as my legs could go to my closest place of refuge, which in this case happened to be a souvenir shop just down the street. And so I go, I'm hiding behind some kind of Whistler paraphernalia. And it's only then that I remember about my pregnant wife. And, <laughs> and I assume that she was running as fast as she could right behind me, but she's nowhere around. And so I slowly start walking towards the door of this Whistler souvenir shop. Wondering if maybe the bear took advantage of the two-for-one dinner deal that was on offer. And as I walked to the door, Jorley's standing in the doorway with her arms crossed. And she's like, you can come out now. The bear's gone. (laughs) It was not my finest moment. But in verse 12 of our text, Jesus says it like this. Talking about the hired. He says, when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Maybe a side note, I care a lot for my wife. And I like to think that if this happened again, I would kind of look around for her and pull her with me. But Jesus uses this analogy of shepherding and the hired hand to contrast two different kinds of leaders. There's the shepherd whose whole life is about the sheep, who who would lay down his life, put his life in harm's way, standing up against the, the wolf and the bear to protect the sheep, and then there's the hired hand, or we might call him a counterfeit shepherd. And the counterfeit shepherd looks like a shepherd. He dresses like a shepherd. He smells like a shepherd. He talks like a shepherd. But when push comes to shove, the hired hand doesn't, doesn't do his duties out of a deep love for the sheep. He's there to get a paycheck. And so when the, hired, or when the animal comes and the hired hand's life is at risk, he's not staying to defend the sheep. He's out of there. Because like, he can get another job. And these are just sheep, right? There's got to be livestock insurance. When it comes to our lives, I think an important question that we need to grapple with is who's leading us? And are we being led by a counterfeit shepherd? Because there's all sorts of voices out there who are presenting this kind of vision for human flourishing. There's, There's marketers who will do whatever they can to make you believe that they want what's best for you. That if you buy their product, or you reach this certain status, or you vote for this political candidate, that you'll arrive at this future that you've always dreamed of, whether that be wealth, or power, or prestige, or comfort. But are those promises true and trustworthy? Or like the hired hand in Jesus' parable, will they take from us, use us, and then leave us behind at the first sign of danger? I, I want to take a closer look at some of these counterfeit shepherds, specifically counterfeit shepherds that I think are specifically, we're specifically susceptible to follow in the day and age where we live. I, I want to look at three. I want to look at culture as shepherd. I want to look at self-shepherding. And I also want to look at, at the church. I want to look at religion. I'm, deb- I'm indebted to some great work from a guy named uh, John Tyson, who's an author and, and pastor in New York City. His, his work was so incredibly helpful to me as I formed these thoughts. But first up: culture, our culture as shepherd. See, the mantra of our Western world is, is, "You do you." You know Take the reins of your own destiny. Do whatever makes you happy. Don't let anyone tell you how to be you." And while that's a, an incredibly catchy phrase and an, and an appealing sentiment, is that really what's going on in the grander narrative of our society? Can we really be whoever we want to be? Maybe? But our culture has this way of influencing us without us even knowing that we're being influenced. Primarily uses tactics that psychologists refer to as choice architecture. Choice architecture is this way of being influenced without even knowing that you're being influenced. Essentially, it works like this. Someone architects an environment, and then that environment shapes you. Here's a simple example of a study that was done with a group of kids a number of years ago. The people doing the study recognized that kids were eating some pretty unhealthy foods in their school cafeterias. And so as they began this study, they saw as kids were working their way through the lunch line, they were being asked questions like this. Do you want burgers, pizza, or a salad? Do you want cookies or apples? Do you want Coke, Sprite, or water? And if your kids are anything like mine, then they're probably going to choose the least healthy option of the batch that they're kind of shown or given. And, and so as they were trying to make kids make better decisions, what they decided to do is just change the questions that were being asked. Rather than saying, do you want cookies or, or, or pie, they said, do you want cookies or, or, sorry, they said, do you want apple, banana, or oranges? Instead of saying, do you want Coke or Sprite, they said, do you want water or this healthy fruit juice? And it had really dramatic results as, as a result of this kind of choice architecting. A number of kids lost 26% of their weight. Just amazing results. But the main idea here is that the environment is architected, and then the environment over time shapes you. So then whoever determines the framework, whoever architects the primary choices that are being offered, essentially determines the outcomes. And I mean, we looked at somewhat of a silly illustration with with kids in 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 a lunchroom, but this type of choice architecting is happening to us every day in big and small ways. We do have choices and freedoms, but... Many of those choices have been curated by the nature of the questions that our society is asking. And as we make big and small choices throughout the course of our day, in our week, in our month, in our year, in our lifetime, we're being shaped. Our desires are being formed by the choices that we're offered. And, I mean, we know this. Even as we scroll on social media, you know, be it Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you see, see these news articles and blogs and posts. And we like to think that this is completely unbiased content that we're engaging with. But it's all guided by algorithms. We're seeing what Facebook or Twitter or Instagram wants us to see, whether that be to propagate a certain ideology or just to make us come back to the platform and spend more of our time there. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that culture doesn't have a neutral role in the people we're becoming. Our culture has this very specific destination that it's seeking to lead us. And there's this soft, often seductive pull that will slowly over time give us the illusion of freedom, but shape us into a certain kind of people. Shape our desires and our wants with propaganda and algorithms and choice architecture. And most often will mold us into a people who are incredibly anxious and lonely and always wanting, searching for a high in a person or, or a thing, a purchase that's incapable of giving us the kind of fulfillment that we long for. And as a result, millennials and Gen Zs have been named the anxious generation. As we've been led, we've been shepherded by a culture that exists to take, to perpetuate spending, to get clicks, to get likes, but at what cost? At the cost of our souls. So you can let culture shape you. The other counterfeit shepherd that I want to look at is self. self Self-shepherding. You know, maybe you say, no, I'm strong enough to stand up against these kind of of cultural pull, against the marketing stunts, the propaganda, the choice architecting. I can make my own decisions. I'm not like those kids in the lunch line who choose from the options presented. I'm the kind of person that swims against the current. So self-shepherding. Maybe you say, "I I don't even have a smartphone. I don't use social media. I'm not being discipled by algorithms like everyone else. I can truly shepherd my own soul. Maybe. But my experience has been, just like the prophet Jeremiah said, that my own heart is deceitful. How do I decipher what's right or wrong, or even what's best for me, by what feels right? My feelings are fleeting. What feels right one day can feel completely wrong the next. And I can so easily fool myself into thinking that I want something that I really don't. And I can do something today that's going to bite me in the butt tomorrow. I can convince myself that cheating or lying or or hiding what's going on is going to help the problem that's in front of me. And then you insert the power of addiction and habits. And what about emotional and mental health? And I think most people would tell you that we're really not as good at becoming the kind of people that we long to be. Okay, what about religion? Or even the church? Can we trust a religious institution to lead us? I think most people in our culture, in our society, would say, no, absolutely not. Look at the track record. They'd say there's been so much abuse of power and coercion and deception within the church. And whenever the church gets enough power and influence, it uses that power to exclude groups of people, to oppress minorities, to control. And as much as I hate to admit it, I, I think there is some validity to that claim. The church has not always been a safe place. There's example after example, even in our day and age, where, where pastors and leaders have used their power for evil and not for good. Where rather than helping the weak and the oppressed and the marginalized, they've used those groups or they've abused those groups and it grieves the heart of God. Just a topic that, that Jesus had a lot to say about through his public ministry. He was constantly critiquing the religious leaders of the day, so much so that these religious leaders started to really hate Jesus because he was constantly pushing back against this type of spiritual leader that says, come look at me all high and mighty while refusing to help the poor and the marginalized and those in need. Even in this text, a big part of Jesus' critique of the hired hand is this critique of the religious leaders who used their power for personal gain. Let's look again at verse 12 says, when he, the hired hand, sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is saying, these hired hands, these religious teachers, they're not in it for the right reasons. They're not in it out of a love for the sheep. They're in it for a paycheck. They're in it for power. They're in it for what they can take, and they're using religious systems as a vehicle to get there. You know, a number of commentaries that I read over this last week, looking at this passage in John 10, pointed to Ezekiel 34 as this kind of parallel passage to the verses we've been looking at together today. It it almost looks as though Jesus is paraphrasing the words of the prophet Ezekiel in his critique. Let's go there for a sec. Ezekiel 34. This is God's words towards a group of religious teachers who are using and benefiting off the people of God rather than leading them and loving them and serving them. Here's what God says to them. Says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And then when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Skip to verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. says, I'm against these counterfeit shepherds. I will hold them accountable for my flock. So these shepherds, they're eating the curds. They're clothing themselves in fine wool. They're, They're slaughtering the choice animals to make a feast for themselves. Essentially, they're taking all the best resources for themselves. They're using the sheep for personal gain. And I don't know what your experience has been like in the church. You know, I don't know what your upbringing was like. You know, if you grew up in church, maybe you had an amazing pastor, amazing leadership. Or maybe you didn't. You know, maybe as I read those words from Ezekiel, it brought memories back of toxic leadership that you experienced. Or someone in authority used their power in really destructive ways. And if that's you, If church wasn't a place of, of refuge for you, if it was a place of harm and pain, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, I just want to say I am so, so sorry. Or maybe you haven't personally been affected by bad church leadership, but you've been shocked and appalled, even angered hearing about clergy misconduct or how the church in the past handled things like the residential schools. If you're angry about injustice... I want you to know that Jesus is angry too. Jesus has a name for these toxic leaders, for counterfeit shepherds. He calls them thieves and robbers. He says they come to kill, steal, and destroy. And there will be accountability, either in this life or the next, for those who use their power for harm and not for good. It's not okay. And it's not the way of the good shepherd. The way of Jesus is self-sacrificial, laying down his life for the sheep. And in this world of counterfeit shepherds, Jesus, the good shepherd, says this, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He goes on to say, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. See, the leadership of Jesus is so radically different to the way of the hired hand or the counterfeit shepherd. The leadership that Jesus brings is is like he says in Matthew chapter 11, is gentle and lowly, is self-sacrificial. See, unlike the Pharisees, the religious teachers that we read about in Ezekiel 34, Jesus spent his whole ministry on earth tending to the flock, caring for the weak, bandaging the injured, healing the sick, caring for the oppressed. Jesus' way of leadership is one of serving, of washing feet, welcoming in the outcast and the refugee. He doesn't take from us. He gives. He offers up his life for us. And he doesn't use guilt and shame and condemnation like sheepdogs to rein us in like religious systems so easily do. No, instead, he lays down his life to protect and to care for us. And then he calls us to do the same. You know that the word pastor and shepherd come from the same root word. Throughout scripture, both, both pastor and shepherd are used to describe the role of a church leader, of, of an elder. And so, I am a shepherd. I've been entrusted, at least at some capacity, to serve and to love and to care for this flock, this church. is one of the pastors here. I'm a shepherd who's under a shepherd, under the good shepherd. And I want you to know that the greatest desire of my heart is to represent Jesus well. To use any ounce of power that I have for good. To guard the flock against the wolves and the bears, in other words, against dangerous people and ideologies and distractions that will so easily get us off course, to give and to serve and not to take like the hired hand is so prone to do. I want to lead like Jesus. And at the same time, I'm so incredibly aware that I will fail you, that I won't do it perfectly. Even in my best effort to love and to lead like Jesus, I'm a human just like you. And I have my own fears and doubts and insecurities and sin. But let me say this. That I will do everything in my power to lead you to the foot of the good shepherd. Who will lead and love you perfectly even when I can't. And this is a bit of an aside, but I want to ask that you would pray for me. That you'd pray for all our pastors. You know, We want to shepherd well. We want to lead like Jesus. We want to remain faithful to the end and see Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant, but we can't do it on our own strength. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have any chance of finishing well, any chance of leading like Jesus. So I want to ask you to pray. Let's go back to the text. In verse 14, the language of of what Jesus is sharing changes from from shepherding, from work to, to family, to language of familiarity and friendship and intimacy. Jesus says, unlike the hired hand who doesn't care anything for the sheep, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just like the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I also know you. And this is something that I was, I was so struck by this week. You know, I've heard this passage so many times. But I, I feel like I caught a glimpse, maybe for the first time, that, that Jesus says, I know my sheep. And that's such an important truth from Jesus, our good shepherd, that I don't want to move past too quickly. That he knows us. He knows everything about us. Not, not the projection of yourself that you thinks worthy of love. Not the cleaned up, kind of smile on, Christianized, filtered version of yourself. The real you. The good and the bad. The, the, the you that maybe you're too ashamed to share with anyone. Because if they knew, he knows. And he still loves you. And he cares for you. In Psalm 139, David the psalmist wrote this said you have searched me lord and you know me you know when i sit and when i rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways before a word on my tongue you lord know it completely for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb see this isn't just a cognitive awareness like he doesn't just know information about you the word know speaks of intimacy and closeness, relationship. And Jesus, the good shepherd, he, he knows the, the aches of your heart. He knows the fears, the hopes, the dreams. He knows the pain that you might be experiencing in your body right now. He knows the way that your boss has been treating you. He knows the financial pressures that you might be under. He knows about the injustice that you've experienced. He knows about the struggle that might be going on in your marriage or that one of your kids has walked away from the faith. He knows the feelings of anxiety and loneliness and he says, I see you and I'm with you through it all. And this reality of knowing Jesus and being known by him is is something that we'll spend the entirety of our Christian life kind of learning and experiencing and understanding. Learning to abide in him. Learning to distinguish the voice of our shepherd from all other voices that surround us. See, Jesus knows us, and he also lays down his life for us. It wasn't long after after Jesus shared these words in John 10 that that he, our good shepherd, would display the greatest act of love that, that anyone could ever show to another person, giving up his very life for the sheep. If you keep reading in John, Jesus goes to the cross, taking the sin of the world, past, present, and future upon himself. And rather than abandoning us in our time of need or fleeing in the face of danger like the hired hand is so prone to do, Jesus, God in the flesh, would lay down his life for us, would be beaten and bruised, mocked and scorned, hung up on a Roman cross to die in our place. See, the God of the Bible is not a God who's angry and distant and needing to somehow be appeased for our sin. No, he's a God of great love though humanity messed up the whole world, though we, we were lost and wandering, hopeless on our own, like sheep without a shepherd, he would humble himself and come. Would himself become the solution. And through his life, death, and resurrection would, would put an end to the curse of Satan, sin, and death once and for all. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the one we can trust to lead us because his heart is for us. And while he doesn't promise a life that's free of trials and hardships and pain, he does promise that he's with us in the midst of it all. That he'll never leave us. That he'll never forsake us. That like David the psalmist wrote, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because our good shepherd is with us. Culture and its promises of this utopian future will fail you. Religious systems will disappoint you. Maybe I'll say this. Even I, Sam, will disappoint you. As a human pastor, I'm imperfect. And while I'm trying to take my cues from Jesus, the good shepherd, I won't do it all right. You know, I love you, and I want what's best for you. And I'll do my best to model the kind of self-sacrificial love of Jesus. But don't put your hope in me. Put your hope in the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who's completely consistent, and who loves you perfectly. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.